Hello and welcome to the On The Whistle podcast. It is our favorite time of the year, every favorite time of every other year, I should say, because it is AFCON time. I mean, there is there is nothing more beautiful in the world of football, in my opinion, than an Africa Cup of Nations in January. At the time it needs to be, none of this European summer nonsense. And joining me to, to reminisce about his AFCONs, to the, his favorite memories, and, and to look ahead to this one, is our one and only former professional player, Courtney Freeze. Courtney, how are you doing, brother? Alistair, I'm absolutely fantastic. Uh, excited for the FCON, really, really excited. I think more excited than I've ever been for any other FCON ever. Uh, and we'll talk more about it, but I'm doing well. Um, really looking forward to sitting down and talking to you today. Absolutely. Well, we, we may or may not be joined by, by Francis Inquain. Um He's he's currently in, in the middle of a meeting, but he's working on trying to get here. But exactly. We need our elder statesman statesman joining us. But Courtney, I wanted to start off by by kind of, you know, we as as those of you who follow us and will be uh, follow us on, on social media and, and, and on YouTube and, and Spotify or wherever you get your audio podcast, you'll know that we've been doing preview podcasts for for every country, Courtney and Ferdos came in to, to share with us about Bafana Bafana and both of them, why why are, they may or may not do well at the tournament. I'll, I'll let you guess as to how uh, positive or negative they were, um, as well as Francis talking about Cameroon and, and brilliant kind of selection of, of experts. So today we're, we're, we're going to do things a little differently. We're not explicitly previewing the competition, but we wanted to first take a trip down down memory lane and and so Courtney I have to ask you my first question for you today is what what was your first ever Africa Cup of Nations memory what was the first time that the tournament came into your consciousness I'm gonna sit I'm gonna set the scene for you Alistair I'm 17 years old youngster in South Africa with the ambitions of playing football at the highest level we have the African continent come to South Africa in 95 uh, of which I had no clue a tournament like that even existed. No clue that these wonderful professionals are coming to South Africa for this major tournament. Now, at that time, we had one of the greatest uh, Bafana Bafana national teams. And I wasn't aware that you had this divide between Europe and Africa for an African Nations Cup tournament. So these teams come to South Africa. The whole country is in a buzz. Bafana Bafana is... Uh, elevated to a level beyond that they've ever been at to this point in time. Um, and just the energy in the country around supporting Bafana Bafana and having these wonderful players come to South Africa. That's where I heard of Kualusho Bolia. That's where I heard of him. That's where I heard of Abedi Pele. That's where I heard of Tony Yeboah. I didn't know of these players. And it was just a wonderful occasion to have that level of player come to our country. And that's my first ever memory. And I, I you know, that, that 1996 South Africa team, I mean, the, the names just roll off the tongue. People like Andre Arnsa, Mark Fish, you know, Phil Masinga, Sean Bartlett, Eric Tinkler, Dr. Kumalo, you know, Neil Tovey. Obviously we've had a couple of these guys, Neil Tovey and Lucas Hadebe have come onto the podcast to share some of their memories of, of the 1996 vintage. And so if, if you want to go look back at those, please, please do. And you know, what a special, special tournament that was obviously I don't want to give my age away too much, but a bit before my time. Um, <laughs> but I think I think that's the the kind of what the Afcon is, right? Is for me, is it's still this tournament that has because of the history of it, because 
it's a the oldest I, I believe the oldest inter um continental intracontinental tournament um kind of predates the european championship the afc cup all of these things and because also it's always been such a tool for social change you know i think it, even when it was launched it was um you know, it, it was, you know, obviously CAF with the first the first sporting organization to exclude South Africa, apartheid South Africa. You know, it's always been a politically charged, culturally charged tournament. And that's one of the reasons why we absolutely love it. Um, and it's always like you said, it's always been a tournament where it reveals players. It reveals teams that we'd never kind of thought about. And my my first AFCON memory was I think it was the 2006 AFCON. My first footballing memory was Euro 2004. And then after Euro 2004, my family got DSTV. We had DSTV for a couple of years, so we had access to Supersport. Um, and of course, being in Kenya, having Supersport, we are only ever watching mainly the Premier League as well as some, you know, La Liga and stuff. And my favorite team, Blackburn Rovers, had always had, you know, a strong core of, of brothers from the continent. You know, I think from, from South Africa, Aaron Mokwena, Benny McCarthy, you know, and then others like Chris Samba, uh, El Haji Juf, you know, legends of the game. But for me, what... So those first kind of two years of me consuming football, I was mainly watching Blackburn, mainly suffering, but it was also consuming European football because sadly, you know, Kenya doesn't have a super strong tradition of, of following its kind of local leagues, particularly on television. And so for me, it was that 2006 Africa Cup of Nations where I came across Egypt. And that for me was so powerful because in my mind and the minds of, you know, a lot of Kenyans, Africans weren't, weren't meant to be very great at football, particularly not teams. You had it. You had it. You had individuals. You had the talent. You know, for and for, in my mind, you know, the likes of Benny McCarthy, Al Hajjouf, but they weren't teams. They weren't. You know, and and you know that sadly speaks to a lot of you know colonial trauma, a lot of kind of racism that's inbuilt both in and off the continent. And so for me, when I came across this 2006 vintage of, of Egypt, where their best players were all playing, you know, in Egypt. You know, this was a team that was the foundation of it. Was you know. Play, guys playing at Al Akhli, guys playing at Zamalek. You know the the you know I think it was Ahmed uh, uh, Hassan, um, who who's who's obviously I think one of the most capped players of all time. I think at that tournament, I can't remember if he was still in Europe or if he returned to Egypt. But for me, it was that kind of vintage, and then obviously that same team over the next couple of years when Mohammed Abu Trika kind of became the talisman. But I think for me, that was the kind of the first memory I have it, and the most the most powerful memory of of the Afcon. And then Courtney, obviously, this might be the same answer because that was your first memory was that that ninety six Afcon in, in South Africa. But what is your favorite Africa Cup of Nations memory? My favorite African Cup uh, memory is another, I would say, lengthy story. Uh, Lucas Radebe is at Leeds United. He does his ACL cruciate ligament. Is uh, out for the season in uh, the English Premier League. He is playing at Leeds United under the great George Graham, who loved him as a centre-back, and is playing with the unstoppable Tony Yeboa. I think Tony Yeboa's thighs are as big as both <laughs> my legs put together. You know, bright eyes like car headlights, just a powerhouse of a Ghanaian. Honestly, you, you would want to be in the trenches with this guy. It's a quarter-final Um at the National Stadium in South Africa. It's an evening game. Ghana against uh, Bafana Bafana. Lucas Radebe goes to Clive Barker at the time. Great manager, the, the late great Clive Barker, says to him, listen, play me. I play against this guy, this guy every day. 
I know him. I know I've had an ACL injury. Roger Links is in the team playing exceptionally well next to um, Neil Tovey. Clive Barker puts in Lucas Radebe. We win 3-0 on the night. John Shoesmanshow, the late John Shoesmanshow, puts in an unbelievable performance. And Lucas Radebe shuts up shop in the back with Mark Fish and Neil Tovey. What a memory. I, I can almost remember the game down to the boots that people were wearing. That's how excited we were watching that game. What an unbelievable memory. Uh, that's I love that I love that Courtney and kind of for me it's I, it's hard I, I kind of was split between two because obviously being being Kenyan I don't remember in the early 2000s when we had a bit of a stronger side the likes of Dennis Oliet she took us to the AFCON but for me there's that 2019 AFCON one of the more recent ones when we finally finally made our return to to the to the AFCON scene and we had you know, we were in a group with Senegal and Algeria, which obviously those are the two teams that went on to to go to the final. Algeria win it that year. Senegal win it the next year. Two of the biggest heavy hitters. But for us, it was the other team that was in our group. And that was Tanzania. And so for, for me, it was, okay, T Kenya are in the AFCON for the first time in, in almost 20 years. And who's in our group but our neighbors, Tanzania, our, our great, great neighbors, our great rivals. And so for me, going into that tournament, I had two two things. It was we needed to beat Tanzania and could we just just sneak into that second place that or that third place spot um because that was the first tournament when when you could when you could actually qualify as coming as a third place team and so we we, we play the first game I think it was I'm trying to remember if it was the Senegal or the Algeria game I think it was the the, the Algeria game we lose 2-0 Riyad Mahrez scores you know it's no no chance and again I had no hopes but it was that second game against Tanzania that that was the key one for me and i just remember and this is why for me michael olunga will stay in my heart forever as my favorite ever player because tanzania score in just the i think it was like the fifth or sixth minute we're down we're down we're losing one nil ogada olunga scores and then immediately mbwana samata scores again tanzania's talisman kenya's talisman i think samata at that time i think he was just about to sign for aston villa or he just had and then I think it was Yana Omolo scores the equalizer for Kenya. It's 2-2. And in the 80th minute, Michael Lunga scores a rasping finish from the edge of the box. Sends us through 3-2. We win. Yes, we lose to Senegal in the next game. Yes, we crash out of the tournament. But for me, that that like, one win oh. against... Yeah. <laughs> and, but for me, that one win against Tanzania will, will forever kind of stay with me. And and Francis, it's it's so good to see you. So good to see you looking as dapper as ever, looking as as suave as ever. And I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Courtney. The same question I talked about was, what is your first ever Africa Cup of Nations memory? I know, right? <laughs> but I think I, I I think Mali. Um, I don't know why this this comes to mind a lot. Um, I remember. Uh, quite clearly there being like a lot of stories around a challenge with, I don't know if it's my earliest memory or if it's my fondest, to be honest, it's all kind of like mishmashed into one. But I remember during the tournament in Mali, there was a big brouhaha going on in Cameroon about the food that the team was getting. And the presidential family here had to send some food or like a, a military plane with supplies to the national team over there. And um, 
it was like this source of tremendous pride. I, I don't know. It's kind of like that we come to the the aid of our own wherever they may be, and they ended up winning the tournament. And the whole thing was kind of like when they came back to Cameroon, there was this tremendous excitement around the team. And I think this was actually like post-1990. So it was 2002. Okay, yeah. So it was kind of like the one of like those sweet things because, yes, that was it. It was kind of like we'd just done the Olympics, but the Olympics were kind of like far away for most people. And then the, this Mali tournament was kind of like, it, it just felt kind of magical. It was kind of like the whole nation was with them. And then they got the food that was cooked at home and sent by the aunties. And then they won and then they came back and the nation just shut down afterwards. It was kind of like, there were maybe like three or four days of just, there were parties everywhere. There were just people in the streets. I'd never seen the jersey once worn so much by so many people. Yeah, for me, it, it really sticks out in my head. And I don't know if it's my best or if it's my earliest. It's definitely not my earliest because <clears throat> I just have gray hairs. But it, it, it and kind of, Courtney, you were, you were talking, we were talking about the vintage 1996 South Africa squad, but this was a vintage Cameroon squad. I mean, Captain Rigobert Song, who's now the head coach, the likes of Jeremy Loren, Mark Vivian Foe, Samuel Eto up front, Patrick Sufo, and even the Senegal team you beat in the final, you the likes of El Haji Diouf, Al Sisse, And of course, they would go on later that, that year to, to beat France in the World Cup, you know, proper proper footballing nations. Courtney, I know you, you, you're you desperate to bring in a second memory and I'll, I'll, I'll allow it as, as your generous host today. I'll allow you to come in again with, with another favorite memory. One of, one of my best memories is, is the lack of respect um, we had for a team like Egypt. We played Egypt in the 98th AFCON final, I think. Um, the, just the lack of respect, man. We're going to play this powerhouse with players with such high levels of experience and we get to the final the, the the emergence of Quinton Fortune and Benny McCarthy come through into the league who are just who gone to be wonderful players in the world of football but also on African terms on the continent who really made their names at the tournament but we get to the final and Egypt just played with us absolutely we had no absolute chance in that game they were unbelievable and i started to look at this team and think to myself whoa we're not as good as we think we are you know there's other teams in africa that are really good especially asian teams like i actually didn't know at that time egypt were a powerhouse but then you start to go back and you look at the amount of caps these players have you start to look at the achievements and you think to yourself whoa 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 Football's not just happening in South Africa yet, <laughs> you know? And that was one of my, if I can say, significant memories that started to educate me about the continent and what good football is out there. Hmm. I love that. And again, like, like we've been saying, it's, it's always been about learning. It's always been about experiencing new, new players, new, new, new teams, new coaches, stuff that we just didn't, didn't expect. And it kind of, Francis, I'll bring you on, on, on this because, you know, the AFCON is so special and so unique, and you, you've you've obviously had far more experience than myself and Courtney in terms of being at AFCONs, being around the teams that have been there. For you, what makes that the AFCON itself as a tournament so special? 
I really, I, I've always wondered about that a little bit because I think it has a lot more to do with this sense of pride and identity. We have very few opportunities as Africans where we come together for positive reasons. And I think that's what the AFCON started symbolizing. It was a chance for, I know that's how I feel every time I, I turn up, no matter what country it is. In particular, I remember the Angolan tournament. Um, it was a dramatic beginning, um, very sad uh, occurrence with the Togolese team. And under normal circumstances, I think we should all have maybe felt a little bit uncomfortable or um, pained by what had happened to the extent where we might be focusing on what's wrong. And yet, without words, it felt like everybody decided instead that nobody would stop this party because it was all we had. It was, it's almost like that's, that's how I, that's the feeling I get. It's like it's this one unifying and identifying moment where it doesn't matter what country you're in, um, you just feel extremely, extremely connected. Um, the pride is not necessarily just in one's country. The pride genuinely feels like it's in Africa. So people are celebrating their different cultures. You're, you're, you're talking football, yes, but there's always this, I'm, I'm happy to adopt another team if my team gets turfed and you don't get precious about it. So if Cameroon's out of the tournament and I've decided I, I fell in love with some young Zambian kid and I was enjoying him, all of a sudden Zambia is my team and I'm not concerned about, yes, I'll, I'll slide off my team for not having gone further, but I am wearing the Jersey of Zambia and I'm, I'm rooting for them. And if they get turfed and Togo are still in it, then it's Togo. That's my new team. And yes. It's like, you just, there, there really is this magic to it where it goes beyond the nation. And there really is a sense of identity that gets forged in the moment. And I think the commentary sometimes used to help. Um, we, it used to annoy so many people the way it would get reported. Um, the way the commentaries of the game sometimes used to go on television that in our annoyance and defiance to people, maybe not wanting to give us credit, the people of Africa kind of felt like we would own this. If you want to laugh at us for the quality of the games or something, you know what? We like it. And if you don't, that's your problem. This is all we have. These are our Olympics. These are our Euros. These are our World Cup because not enough of our teams are going to make it to the World Cup because before, back in the day, you had two teams going or three teams going before we get to a stage where we have five going. So for a lot of nations, this was the only chance they would be on that international stage. And so for the citizens, this was the only moment where we would get to bond and have some sense of rivalry. But the rivalry could not be that entrenched where it turned bitter. It became a celebratory get-together. And that feeling is still there. And I remember going to Ghana in particular in 2008 and completely falling in love with Ghana. Like, I wanted to own property in Ghana. I wanted that's to. That's what I'm saying, Ellis. That's, like, what, I'm, you know, that's even, what I'm saying. <laughs> crazy. 
I was just like, I want to live here. Like, it just felt so nice. And then we knocked out the Ghanaians, I think, like in the semifinals or, or something. Cameroon knocked out the Ghanaians. And the Ghanaians were okay with Cameroon before. But then we turned up for the finals against Egypt. And the, all the Ghanaians were supporting the Egyptian team. <laughs> And I was like, why? And then I like, you spoiled our AFCON. Like we and we thought we'd get at least to the finals. So because we like Egypt more than Cameroon, but just because you spoiled our party, we're backing the Egyptians. But it was done in such good spirit. Like you'd be having banter with the person next to you in a bar or at a club or at a restaurant. And then you walk into the stadium and they've got the Egyptian flag on their faces and you're going, but we are the sub-Saharan guys. We should unite so we can turf the North Africans. And they're like, no, no, no. In this moment, now our team, <laughs> they didn't spoil our AFCON, you know. But yes, that's 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 how I feel. And I don't know if I've answered your question, but um, your question just inspired this this rant. <laughs> no, and, and I think the, the AFCON is such a, it's kind of a flashpoint of what makes football on, on, on the African continent so unique. Because I think a good example is even you think of the World Cup, what other continent would would you find someone from Mozambique cheering for Morocco because they're in, in the semifinal against France? You know, our South African brothers cheering on Morocco. You know, Morocco is closer geographically to France, to, to Russia, probably to, to the North American coastline than it is to South Africa and Mozambique. And yet that camaraderie is there when it comes to football, that kind of desire for each other to succeed, you know, on the international stage. And, and you know, I think you, you spoke a bit about referencing how that kind of it's forged in kind of the way in which we've oftentimes been put down been you know forced into difficult positions and I think you know again what what other federation would boycott the world cup as as capped it in in, in 1966 to say you know what we're not getting our our due do do uh, what we deserve we're not getting our due rights we're not going to show up because we we deserve better and I think again that's for me that's that's what makes the afcon kind of so beautiful I'm also going to say this here, Alistair. I must say this because, Francis, I think you coined such a lovely phrase there. I, I, you know, I, I actually want to go somewhere and chisel it in a wall. You know, when Africans come together for positive reasons, because I, I think no one more than me, I could, I could very quickly mention twenty ugly reasons we come together. Okay, very quickly in the space of ten minutes, boom, boom, boom. I could give you reasons. But this is not one of them. Positive reasons that we are coming together to celebrate. I think th that is such a lovely, lovely statement to mention, which brings such a lot of positivity in not great times. That lovely. I, I appreciated firstly the statement, but um, the reference as well. Yeah, well done. Absolutely. And and we'll, we have one last question down memory lane before we actually look to the tournament that's kicking off in just a week's time seven days now until until that first match of Cote d'Ivoire and Guinea-Bissau uh, and Courtney I'll come to you first for you I want you to give me one name who is your favorite Africa Cup of Nations AJ player <laughs> before I've even finished <laughs> sorry sorry uh, I didn't know what the question was but I'm AJ I'm really sorry why, what, tell, tell, why is why is JJ Okacha your favorite player <laughs> What was your favorite AFCON player? <laughs> oh, here we go. Uh, listen, JJ Okocha. Man, if you don't know JJ Okocha, then you don't know your right and your left hand. 
you don't know that. Because honestly, JJ Okocha was, for me, one of the greatest street footballers who was a professional footballer, who was an entertainer, man. You know, I, 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 he, he played for Nigeria. We absolutely, as South Africans, despise the Nigerian national football team. Absolutely hate them. They are so good. But I could not not love that man. An entertainer of highest caliber. You know, I can... Uh, I, I just loved his... Ability and manipulation with the ball. I can still see a great Oliver Kahn diving left and right in Bayern Munich against a young Leverkusen player, JJ Okocha. I can see him pulling the ball over Ray Parler at the Reebok Stadium in Bolton. And, and I, I can then see him hitting free kicks from close to the halfway line from for Nigeria into the top corner. Just an unbelievable player. You know, why you go to the stadium to watch somebody and be entertained jj okocha that's my player sorry i didn't hear the question properly <laughs> jj is the answer even if we don't know what the question is francis i'll come to you as well who is who is your favorite player if you had to give me one JJ <laughs> and for every reason mr courtney freeze just gave <laughs> francis are you serious <laughs> So, oh my god! I mean, JJ, oh JJ is like my favorite footballer. Full stop. Like he played football the way I think football should be played, and we had some tremendous memories as a nation playing against Nigeria. And no matter how entertaining he was, he somehow always ended up on the end of a defeat by the Cameroonian Lions. Every national team supporter for Cameroon would tell you exactly what Courtney said a few moments ago. We would still love the win, but everybody would still go, but that JJ. And he's just one of those players who played football. If, if I were to be inappropriate, I would say he played football in the way African football was supposed to have been played by all. So we have a culture of football that has a bit of flair, that has a bit of entertainment, that has a naturally, uh, dare I say, spectator-friendly attitude to it. That's why we go to stay there in Africa. We don't go for the formation, for the solidity, solid lines of four and uh, we go for this expressive um, freestyle, do what you want. And, and, this, and that's the commentary I was speaking about early on. And whenever African football was brought to the world, it was described in derogatory fashion. It's not dissimilar to the spirit of, of street football from South America. And yet the South Americans were celebrated for that. But the African was almost, yes, he was taught that he had to curtail this exuberance or the, this effervescence. But J.J. Okocha played football the way we played football in school, the way we played football on the street, and the way we wanted our national teams to play their football when they went on the world stage. That's what he did. And so he embodied and personified the essence of African football 
And everybody hoped that, including their defenders, they wanted everybody to do that. It was never cool for anybody to just say, if the ball comes to you, lump it out. Because we're in defensive mode, it was like, you know what? If you could nutmeg the guy before you make that pass, we would much more prefer that. And the fans want to see that. And that's what he gave us. And there were many other players sprinkled in every other team who did similar things. And there still are some of those players. But the beauty about the JJ was that we were able to see him do this in Europe and come back home and remain the player who went to Europe. He didn't come back and all of a sudden now he was a more disciplined and less entertaining player. He became even more so. He was more skillful. And every new tournament he turned up at, he had new tricks for us. Whether it was that his tap the ball at the back and break it around you. I remember the first time we all saw that. It was like, what was that? We didn't have instant replay. Everybody was like talking about like, did you see it? And you had to wait to watch the highlights all over again to be able to see if you had seen what you thought you saw. And that's what we hope that we can see more of where we can. Yes, go ahead. I've got to throw the story in. I've got to throw the story. You know, Francis has teed me up like he always does. El Capitan, El Presidente. So I, I am in 2010. I am working in a school here in um, the southeast of London. And I am taken on the deputy headship of the school. So I am one of the, there's two African people that work in the school, two of us. Uh, I meet this lady, her and I start talking, we become good friends, lovely lady. Her name is Patience, lovely lady, lovely lady. So the one day I'm talking- Patience to be a friend of yours. <laughs> what, what a wonderful lady, just a beautiful lady. So I'm talking to another lady the one day um, in, the, in the school and we're talking football. She was a massive football fan. And Bolton had just run through Arsenal over the weekend and I was like, JJ Okocha, what a player. I love him. Did you see what he did to Ray Paula in the corner? Ray Paula still looking for, I'm going on, I'm lyrical waxing. You can imagine how I'm going on. The person I'm talking to says, Courtney, do you know that Patience is JJ's sister? I said, what you mean? Oh. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. What you mean, JJ's sister? You know, JJ from the good times or JJ Okocha? She says, no, JJ Okocha, that's her, that's her brother. So I'm, I'm in class, right? There's 30 children. I'm talking football. I say, I'm coming back. Go downstairs. She's, she's a teaching assistant. I said, patience. She says, hello, Courtney. I said, who is JJ Okocha to you? She says, he's my brother, Courtney. I said, okay, hold on, patience. I know, I know us African people. Everyone in the street is our brother. Do you know, it comes from my mother. <laughs> I said, oh, you serious? She said, yes. I said, why have you never told me? She said, you never asked. <laughs> she said, uh, yeah, he was with us this weekend. Uh, the next time he comes, I'll introduce you to him. I said, oh, oh okay. This is a Wobie's mother. That's for Fulham. This is a Wobie's mother. I was going to ask you. Yeah. I was like, is she Wobie's mother? I know her name is Patience. Yeah, she never said, oh, I know this woman like I know you, gentlemen. I'm the biggest JJ fan. She says, well, the next time he comes, I'll call you, Courtney. But yeah. <laughs> Remarkable. Guy. What, a, what a small world. 
I think for, for, for myself, it would be easy to also say JJ Okacha, but I'll, I'll refrain from it. Um, par partially, partially because. Don't, uh, don't. No, no. For just for for me, let's make a a JJ trooper. For, for, to be fair, we could do a whole podcast on him. But I have I have good reasons. One, I think a, a lot of his best work, particularly on the continent, was a touch before my time. You know, I I, I don't have memories of, of the the early two thousands and the nineties team that he was a part of. Secondly, he played for Bolton, which is one of Blackburn's biggest rivals. So as much as as much as I love him, he should have come to us. He shouldn't have gone to Bolton. But I'm yeah, hey Francis, those those Blackburn were also doing well at that time, we, and we had African brothers as we were saying earlier in the podcast. Aaron McQuenna, Benny McCarthy joined joined shortly after. Chris Samba, you know, El Hadji Juf eventually came to us after Bolton. But Bolton had Sam. Hey, hey, Francis, we're no, we're not here to talk about, we're not here to talk about Bolton. Adachi <laughs> was recruiting the best players from across the world and assimilating them into the team for Bolton the Wanderers. Our, our Italian colleague Samuel Adichie. Tori Jokayev. Yeah. Hey, guys, I explicitly said we're not here to love Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm still working with a guy from Bolton in Justin Rigby till today. Because I love Bolton so. Oh, guys, you're breaking my heart here. You're breaking my heart. But you have no time to talk about any other player than JJ. So about JJ, you were saying? Yes. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I, one of the things I love. Yes, JJ is the best, no doubt. I, I'm, I'm jealous because I haven't met Patience as well. Um, <laughs> so hopefully one day. Uh, One of the things I love about the AFCON, and we've met, we've touched on it, is the idea that you can rock up to this tournament with superstars, Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane's, your JJ Okacha's, and they'll be outshone by by someone playing in in the PSL, someone playing in in the Rwandan first division, whatever it is. And so for me, the player who I think will stay with me for for in my heart forever is is one who's at the most recent tournament in 2021, and that's Gabadinho Mhango. And for those who don't know, Gabadinho plays for Malawi, very much in, obviously nowhere near JJ's talent, but in that kind of category, one who loves to play football and loves to play football with flair, with talent, with passion. But let me give you, coming up to this tournament, he, he's been playing for Orlando Pirates for a few years, but he hadn't played up prior to the tournament for six months almost because of off the field issues. Let's, let's you know, we'll be generous. The man liked to drink. He, he liked to, to go out and have a good time. And I think Pirates weren't a big fan of that. And so they'd frozen him out of the squad. So he'd hardly played any football. Rocks up to, to this tournament with Malawi. I can't remember if it was if it was Malawi's first tournament or one of their first ever uh, tournaments at the AFCON. Not much is expected of him. They're in a group with Guinea. They're in a group with Senegal. You know, they're, they're, not much is expected. He scores the assist for them for the goal that takes them out of the group. And then they play Morocco, one of the best teams at the tournament in the round of 16. And what does Mhango do? He scores a goal from almost 40 yards, just picks it up on the left wing, cuts inside, spanks it in top corner. One of the best goals I've ever seen whilst watching a football match. And for me, that's why I love him because it's this embodiment of a player who coming into this tournament outside of Southern Africa, no one had heard of him. No one knew who this guy was. Right, I'd only heard of him because I, we were speaking to to some of the Malawi and FA guys before um, the tournament, and yet he rocks up, scores an absolute stunner, and that, and for me, that's what the Afcon embodies so much is is these players who you haven't heard of coming from you know left wing, you know figuratively and literally, and just scoring 
brilliant goals, you know, tearing apart, you know, season, you know, he was up against Ashraf Hakimi and he does this, you know, I think it was Hakimi and I can't remember if it was Amrabat or Unahi who he skips past before he takes the shot. Just, you know, brilliant. And for me, that's, that's what it means to, to have, to, to be a player at this tournament. That's what it means for, for these kind of players. Now, guys, we, we spent a lot of time reminiscing about the AFCON. There is actually one coming up next week that we probably should talk about. But one of the things I wanted to talk about was, uh, no, no, I, I won't, I won't force you to try and dodge my questions about giving me predictions, Francis. Not today, don't worry. But I, I want to talk about it being in Cote d'Ivoire because obviously, Francis, for you and and Cameroonians, you'll have fond memories of of, of Cote d'Ivoire. Obviously, I think the last tournament was held there forty years ago, in '84, um, when when Cameroon obviously came to and and won the tournament. And obviously, you you've been to the Cote d'Ivoire many many times since. You you you're you're a big player in terms of West African football. Give us an insight. What does it mean for the tournament to be back on West African soil for the first time in I think 16, 16 years? But also for it to come back to such a football crazy country like Cote d'Ivoire. I think it's actually one of the most wonderful things that could happen to African football. Uh, the return of football to that part of the continent. That Ivory Coast has had to wait 40 years is actually almost hard to believe because the Ivorians love their football. They are very warm and welcoming people. Yes, they've had their challenges in terms of um, civic unrest. Um, and so maybe during those periods, they maybe missed out on the ability to put their hands up to bid for a couple of tournaments at moments when the tournament was heading in that direction. But what we mustn't have is wait another 40 years again before it comes to that space. And I've always been a big fan of these uh, co-hostings. So I think it would be nice to have West African tournaments and East African tournaments and Southern African tournaments. We have had a plethora of Central African AFCONs for the best part of the last, I don't know, almost maybe 12 years or so. It's kind of like in the space from Gabon and Equatorial Guinea and Cameroon. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been with us and we haven't had it for a while till then. And so then they overcompensated. But I think we will all, we are all in for a treat with the Ivorians in terms of the quality of the infrastructure that they have. I think one of the most important things is participation. Um, they have, through the ECOWAS, the ability to have a freedom of movement of people from that ECOWAS area, the West African free trade uh, zone. So you'll be able to see a lot of Ghanaians popping, Egyptians coming down because they also have like no visa requirements. But then you have the Nigerians who can cross in. You have the Senegalese and the Gambians. So I think... One of the things that I know the Ivorians picked out of the book for Cameroon was crowd participation, having spectators. It's always been one of the shortcomings of our tournament through the years. It's always been this challenge of great games going on, but maybe not many people or not enough people at our stadium. And they are working really aggressively to make sure they have schools, um, public servants getting free tickets to be able to fill up the stadium for atmosphere. But the infrastructure is beautiful. The connectivity within the country, 
whether you're up in Boake or you're in Yamoussoukro where Cameroon will be based, or you're in Abidjan, which is the Paris of Africa, as they as they love to define it themselves. I think no matter where we find ourselves, people will be seeing one of the most beautiful African nations, and they are really doing their best to make sure people are comfortable, people are welcomed, and that the tournament itself will continue to be better. Um, and I'm really excited for them. And I think at the end of it, so I think I'll just go confirm this in a couple of minutes with my special witch doctor around the corner. Um, but I've been, I've been assured at present that the cup will be coming back to Yaoundé on the 11th of February. We're already making preparations for a street party around the corner from my house where we will be serving some good uh, sausages from South Africa. So, uh, Courtney, feel free to stop by with a Mr. Pal, uh, if you so desire. There'll be something for you to eat. And unfortunately for you, Alistair, um, we do love Kenya, but um, somehow you just don't seem to be making it to these tournaments. So we'll expand it to 54 next time around to guarantee your participation. Yeah, we don't worry, Francis. We'll always find a way, even if there were 64 nations involved at AFCON, Kenya would find a way to, to not qualify. You know, one of the things you mentioned, Francis, about why this tournament is special is, is A, I think there's two things that make this really special. Is, is The first is, like you mentioned, the visa traveling, but also the location of Cote d'Ivoire, right? I think four of its five neighbors are at this tournament and you have so many countries that it's one, you know, one, maybe two hour flight or, you know, a, maybe an eight, maybe a two day on the bus. And we know two days on the bus is nothing in African, in African traveling. So you have all these countries, Senegal, Guinea, Mauritania, Nigeria, Ghana, you know, Guinea-Bissau, Mali, Burkina Faso, all of these teams are going to bring bringing their fans in their thousands. And then we have, you know, some of our other ones that always travel in good numbers, like, like yourself, your Cameroonians, your Egyptians, your North Africans, you know. So I think that's one thing that makes it so exciting. And, and the other, you... Men, I have to say, they always travel to Ivory Coast because... We have a running rivalry with our Ivorian brothers. Um, we, we like to take the example that was shown to us by the president of our federation. And so every time we visit the Ivory Coast, we feel an obligation to take a wife. So um, <laughs> there are a lot of people flying out there in search. <laughs> Get married. <laughs> This is what the AFCON is. It means it means so much more. But Courtney, I, and I want to bring you in and specifically for one reason, because one of the things that we're excited about is to see a lot of these new stadiums, these stadiums that have been built or renovated in, in the Africa for, for the AFCON. And some of them look brilliant. And and one of them in particular that I'm super excited to be going to is the Felix Oufoué Boigny Stadium, which is obviously the stadium right in the center of, of Abidjan on the plateau, home of Asek Mimosas. And actually, Courtney, you've had the pleasure of playing there uh, in your, when you were playing in, in for Manning Rangers in the PSL, you played Asak Mimosa in the Champions League. What was your experience like of that stadium, you know, all those years ago? I liken it to the movie Kickboxer, as I was telling you a bit earlier, when Jean-Claude Van Damme is in the, in the change room looking for ice and he goes and he hears this pounding of the stadium pillar and he walks into this room and Tom Poe is kicking the pillar and the whole stadium is shaking. Boom! And I was a young 17-year-old sitting in the change room in Ivory Coast about to go out against these legends. And that's what it sounded like, Alistair. It was frightening. It was thunderous. And it was unwelcoming. 
and we got a spanking. <laughs> they absolutely took us apart. But what a fantastic stadium, 60,000 seater. Francis has spoken about the capacity and the supporters. The one thing I do like about this tournament is that besides the main stadium, the other stadiums are not too big, which does mean you'll be able to fill the stadium and they will be able to give us the atmosphere that I think the tournament warrants. The other good thing about it, um, Alice, is that in desperation to know about the stadiums, I've been looking everywhere and I found someone which I've shared with everybody, Edward Wanda, who is a cyclist, has been going to every stadium and giving almost a preview of the stadiums, what they look like, traveling around. Firstly, spoke about the safety, number one. Firstly, spoke about the cleanliness of the area and the hospitality of the people, number two. Spoke about the wonderful stadium that is available. And I know this is a simple thing that I'm mentioning. The amount of car park space, he even highlights how well prepared they are for the world to visit. And then also the beautifulness of the people. I, while watching this preview, I'm thinking, like Francis was saying earlier, I, I'd like to buy a house there. <laughs> like, it just looks set up for a resounding tournament, something that is going to be well celebrated uh, in a beautiful country. Please, if we can in any way share that clip, I, I think it's just wonderful. Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll link it. I, at the very least, try and edit it in or, or link it in, in our description of, of the podcast. Gentlemen. Sorry, Alistair, I have to go. I've just yes. got a Bafana call up. Uh, so I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll see you guys at the tournament. I've got to go. Yes, uh, gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure. Francis, I, I'm so looking forward to seeing you in Abidjan. And, and for those of you who are following the podcast, we'll be, we'll be there. We'll be in, in Cote d'Ivoire putting out content every day on our YouTube, on our audio, on our social media. So give us a follow, give us a like, OTW underscore podcast on, on Twitter and Instagram. And you just search up on the Whistle podcast on Facebook, YouTube, and wherever you get your audio podcast. Francis, Courtney, it has been an absolute pleasure as always. And you, I don't know how I could be even more excited for an AFCON, but I'm even more excited now.